1: Hello, this is Eat Sleep Worker Pete. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about making work better. Well, that was definitely an intense start to 2021. Everyone who said they couldn't wait to see the back of 2020, I hope you're happy. <laughs> now, I always, say the, <laughs> I always say at the outset, there's a great newsletter of the podcast. And I've been spending a couple of days a week curating that. This week's newsletter, which goes out at the close of the workday on Tuesday... I don't know the right time to send these things, but it felt too invasive to be sending it the weekend. So it goes at close of play on Tuesday. And this week's is a special looking at all the different things that firms have been doing to keep their culture going during the trials of lockdown. So I posted a thread on the newsletter and on LinkedIn. Always welcome people connecting with me on LinkedIn. I've got about 40 different comments and suggestions from the obvious like Zoom quizzes, but with firms involving family in those to really ambitious charity outreach programs to exercise challenges where their company donates money. If you want to cast your eye over 40 or so great ideas from, from other people, you can go to eatsleepworkrepeat.com and sign up for the newsletter there. This week's episode, I've been sort of reflecting, start of a new year, I've been reflecting on some of the changes ahead. Now, obviously, as we're in the midst of the most extreme stage of coronavirus, to be sort of wistfully planning for what might come afterwards might seem fanciful. And I can definitely recognise that it doesn't necessarily feel like it's capturing the moment. But here's the truth. If we've got this ambitious plan to vaccinate people, then if that plays out, we are going to be in the stage where companies are going to be potentially in the situation where maybe at the end of the summer, maybe in September, there's going to be the opportunity for firms to be thinking about what they go back to. The challenge is for all of us, right, how are we planning this right now? What are you preparing for? Let's work on the basis that come September, there's a new situation that people in your work are going back to. What's that going to look like? I've been really intrigued with what that looks like because clearly there are some critical elements that are going to have a bearing on that. Firstly, let's think about this. There was a piece of research this week that said that the majority of workers would take a pay cut in fact, uh, quite often people said they would t- take an average of 14% pay cut, but a lot of people said they would take significantly more and it skewed stronger for older workers. So older workers said they would take more pay cut to to work from home more frequently. In fact, some of those workers said they would take a pay cut to work from home all of the time. So people are willing to take less money to continue working from home. And so, you know, being no doubt offices are going to be smaller. There's going to be a massive downscaling of offices. Bloomberg did an analysis of thousands of earnings calls. These are these calls that companies have to do to talk about the revenue they've made, the profits they've got coming up. And I think about an eighth of them included commentary of reducing office space. There was something equivalent in the UK where half of all companies said that they were planning to reduce their office space. And I think as soon as we reduce our office space, desk occupancy, one of the facts of desk occupancy in offices before was around 60%. So a lot of firms had already been playing with the idea of having fewer desks and saving money from that. And I think the fact that remote working has proved so popular, now firms are going to be thinking, well, maybe we can survive with a lot less space. And if we get rid of allocated desk seating, then what we can do is we can reconfigure our offices They look different. So I've seen a lot of organisations contacting me and contacting other groups saying, what should our office look like? What is the office for? Let's answer those questions and redesign for for a different way. So firstly, offices are going to look very different. And then the next thing that immediately comes from that is that, well, what do you do to stop the office becoming a status symbol? Because you can most definitely imagine, I think a lot of us... I saw a piece of work a couple of years ago that said that I think about 70% of people say that they have a toxic colleague at work. So let's imagine that you've got a toxic colleague. Maybe there's someone in the group of people that you work with who's either excessively competitive or divisive. Imagine that person using the the fact that they're in the, in the office every day to try to leverage their social standing to try and improve their reputation in the office. So obviously, good workplace cultures are going to have to play with this idea that maybe they will prohibit people from going in all the time or they'll have to give you permission to go in all the time and i'm not really sure the way that that's going to work but it seems to be a consideration it may well be that you know organizations will say look you can come anytime you want we've got a co-working space but we encourage you to come on these days and these are the core days for your team fascinating how firms navigate it because there'll definitely be people who say well look you know these uh, younger workers or workers who don't have the the home set up who or maybe live near the office and they want to come in more and more and prohibiting that feels countercultural in its own way. So we're going to have this really interesting debate that I think the more that people involved can feel that they are participants in, the, the better really. But almost certainly what we're going to see is an evolution to something that either looks like co-working or is co-working. WeWork, I think, are going to have a fantastic year or two. A lot of firms who are on short-term leases are now thinking, well, maybe we switch to WeWork. Maybe we move to these co-working situations. And that's where today's guest comes in. Nick Levigny is the head of workplace solutions at Convene. So Convene is this um, US business that's just about to to make the leap over to come to the UK, It's effectively a combination of office space and event space. To imagine the scenario, you've got a a WeWork, a co-working style situation. He won't thank me for for using WeWork as the comparison, but that's, I guess, the the category-defining brand you've got this this co-working situation but you're in a situation where maybe once a week you need a meeting room for 200 people and maybe once a quarter you need a meeting room for 500 people for guests and that's what uh, convene do they've they've got this sort of flexible space in the sector it's known as the hotelification of, of office space and so convene allow you to expand and contract based on your needs because if you imagine remember in all of our offices we often had that big meeting room that wasn't that was too big to be used most of the time or you you found a reason to be using it and i think that's what convene tap into they tap into the idea that you want to turn certain things on and off when you need them so i was really interested to chat to him it's a brief discussion as I say, he's the head of, of their workplace solutions. Effectively, he's selling the proposition. And so, you know, at times it does sell, sound like he's selling them um, because very much he's trying to articulate really what Convene do. I was really intrigued. Like I say, we're going into this strange period of transition. I don't think anyone's got the answers. So people are trying to assert what they see as the answers with confidence. And so this is a a really interesting discussion. This is Nick Levigny. He's from Convene.
2: My name is Nick Levigny. I'm head of workplace solutions at Convene. Convene is a meetings, events, and workplace company that was founded 11 years ago on the thesis of what would it be like to run a commercial office building like a full service hotel. So we're essentially a real estate hospitality business. And we have physical spaces for premium meetings and events and flexible workplaces for teams and individuals, 30 locations around the U.S. And we're expanding to London in 2021. My role there has shifted a bit recently, but right now I'm I'm really tasked with repositioning our workplace product for the realities of the COVID-affected world. We see the headwinds for flexible workplace sector have been clearly very significant and we haven't been immune to those pressures, but we also see that those headwinds are shifting to tailwinds as companies start to make decisions about the role of the office.
1: So, obviously, the reason why I wanted to chat to you is that we all hear about this space, and everyone talks about space as a service. Mm -hmm. And you guys convene are always the first people that people talk about. They say these guys are redefining what property means, they're redefining the space between property and event space. So, how do you guys look ahead? What do you th- what do you believe is going to happen in 2021, 22? What's coming next?
2: We've we've definitely seen that the this great remote experiment has both succeeded and failed. We see there's productivity that has been somewhat flatlined across uh, across organizations but yet leaders are a little bit hesitant to continue with full-time remote work. And we see a return to the office, not in the same way that we saw before, but certainly in a more dynamic and fluid consumption model. And so what we mean by that is really a hybrid work future where there will be a mix of people who will be coming back into the office more like full-time, a mix of people who will be working at home and in more of a remote capacity, more like full-time, but the vast majority of people uh, somewhere in between accessing the office between 2 and 3 days a week maybe 4 days a week that's on the workplace side on the meeting side what we also see is is this hybrid meeting future as well and so convene's history as a meetings and events company really founded 11 years ago just on the meetings and events side and we've since moved into workplace has been about a high experience right you come into a space you meet with your team you convene over food And you are participating in that event on a half-day or full-day basis. And that has been an amenity to those buildings and to the people who consume that space. We see that returning, but with a layer of technology and a virtual component on top of that. What we really see is, is a hybrid work environment where people will be accessing workspace, accessing meetings and event space, and having a layer of technology that connects the, an immersive experience in between.
1: So, do you think most firms will take a smaller footprint, but then have these other spaces that they can access? Or how do you think this looks for most firms?
2: I, I do think that there will be a smaller footprint. And, you know, prior to joining Convene, I was at Verizon for five years where I helped lead global workplace strategy for that company. And, and really the focus there was understanding that utilization of space prior to COVID, kind of the worst, best secret in workplace strategy is that utilization on any given day really hovers around 60% anyway, prior to COVID. That was something that managers were willing right. to accept because they knew that their individuals, in many cases, demanded a place, a, a home base when they came into the office. But now that we have shifted to this fully remote experience and these fixed assets are sitting there at 0% utilized. I just don't see executives and leaders accepting that condition any longer, knowing that a good portion of the population has moved to remote work and understands that as, as a real value to them in their lives. There's going to be certainly a trade-off there, right? So you go from 50 to 60% occupied pre-COVID to 0%. And then when you come back, it's definitely somewhere in between. That is is certainly going to have a, a downward pressure on demand for office space overall.
1: How how do you even perceive the whole space then? Do you believe that it's one of those classic markets where there's like a premium market where you guys are delivering this elite service where the top of the market will win, but then people who are just offering an, a, an undifferentiated service at the middle of the market will lose customers? How do you th- see the whole of the commercial property market in, say, five, 10 years?
2: We do. We have experienced already a flight to quality in in office space. Wow. Yeah. So uh, VTS, which is a, a real estate um, software listing uh, data company, has put out a report that says the class A office market, at least in New York City, has seen the most significant bounce back in terms of tours and opportunities to. Uh, transact on that space. So, um, you know, that that is certainly we've seen that shift in that way. And and I'll also say that in terms of experience, um, if you're taking less space, and you understand that your consumption of that space is more fluid, more dynamic, and know that the office now is a pull, instead of a push, you, you start to see that that experience needs to be much more high touch much more focused on um, creating experience while you're, you're at the office. And so that comes with a hospitality layer, which certainly requires investment. And so what I see is as organizations potentially are decreasing their investment in fixed real estate costs, they're going to, the smart organizations will reinvest those savings back into people programs, experience while in the office, um, potentially funding a bit more travel for those who are remote to facilitate that type of experience and bringing that all together in physical space will be much more thoughtful, much more focused on both the in-office employee and the, uh, the employee who is, is, is patching in from the outside. How are we creating remote equity in participation? And that will require design technology, people, policies, facilitation, hospitality as a layer to to create that and bring it all together
1: it feels for me like when there's a beautiful and and well-appointed office the demand for that will remain the same that you know people will want the apple store of offices people will want to come into a an elegant and really uh luxurious space but overall then do you see the overall demand for office space going down
2: i think it's it's going to be dispersed, right? So as as we see the the central business district, you know, there's there's obviously commuting pressure that comes along with that coming into the city, and people have pushed off pushed back on that. So perhaps there will be a, a decrease in overall demand with a, a dispersal of that demand to other locations, right? So there may be more investment in suburban uh, office locations in in maybe tier two and tier three uh, cities. Uh, we, we've seen some organizations starting to push into some of these less expensive markets um, but but certainly as organizations are taking less space to serve a larger portion of the population um, overall demand for space is likely to to dip and you know of course obviously with growing economies there's there's growing demand which will pick back up but but in terms of how real estate operates and vacancies and net absorption over time um in the conversations that we're having with our broker partners and so forth, they do see negative absorption happening this happened this year and into next year and potentially beyond.
1: If you were looking forward and you were imagining from from your sort of insight of what you've got, when I look at this, I think events are gonna be and so correct me if I'm wrong on this, but events are gonna be bigger than ever before. People are gonna to love to come together when we're allowed to with other people, especially if they're spending some time at home and working remotely. People are gonna love events more than ever before. But but correct me if I'm wrong on that, um, how do you look at the the future for maybe five years ahead? How would it look different to what we're doing right now?
2: I totally agree with you. I think events and meetings are a very important part of work moving forward. The connections that we build with our colleagues through social interactions, through random interactions within these these spaces is is very, very important to building trust, team cohesiveness, connection really, really important. Even prior to COVID, we, we were, that was the motivation of many of the events and programs that were happening within our spaces was to create an environment that brought people together. Um, that is certainly going to continue. And being in physical space together with teams just cannot be replicated. But what can change is the ability to layer on a virtual component to that, to make sure that Those who are remote, who potentially can't travel or don't want to travel, um, a a participant, an equal participant in that space. So what we see is an opportunity to build a hybrid environment that has much more uh, connectivity with those virtual participants. So whether that's um, more screens in the space that show the participant in the room more effectively and immersed in that space, better sound quality that picks up. And, and also facilitation of the event itself. So today, the remote participant in a conference room or other spaces is typically an afterthought. And moving forward, those spaces must be designed understanding that there is hybrid participation right. uh, across the board. That is table stakes moving forward. And so you what we'll see is physical spaces being designed around that hybrid participation to make sure that there is that remote equity of all participants.
1: Got it. I really understand that. But do you have any any sense of how many people will be remote or people will be in the office? Or is that too hard to
2: predict? Well, we can make guesses, right? So as I said, there there was already a utilization challenge among office spaces prior to COVID. We, we knew that Populations were acting fluidly and dynamic, dynamically coming into the office three or four days a week. Uh, this this was a condition that already existed, and 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 we've now just seen an acceptance of this new working style among management and line of sight management was you know a status quo. It was how managers um, understood if their employees were being productive, potentially because they didn't have the tools to. Measure the outcome of their employees. Now they have those tools, and they've been forced into a situation where they've had to manage teams remotely and dispersed, and manage much more to outcomes. Right. And so it's it's more of it's more of a codifying of that existence and an acceptance of new management tactics. And and in my experience, going back to time at Verizon and before that, um, it wasn't so much executive management that needed convincing. It was much more the mid-level management. And when when you think about change management uh, 101, we we talk about the middle management layer as called the layer of mud. That's where change always gets stuck. And they that that layer has now been forced to accept a new condition. And so with that, you'll see more demand for tools to manage outcomes, more people strategies around distributed teams and all of that coming together will what will result in is probably somewhere similar to where we were before, fifty to sixty percent occupied on any given day, uh, with an environment that is totally transformed to care for that condition and designed specifically for the fluid consumption of space as opposed to the traditional one person one seat environments that we that we knew of before.
1: So you guys are pioneers of this. You know, we've been so used to, we come into our desk and we've got a plant on our desk and we've got a few files from yesterday on our desk and you guys are pioneers of this. So what will our personal working environment look like in five, 10 years? And... Will our office be smaller on a Tuesdays and bigger on a Friday? Can you see that idea that we would expand into event space on certain days within our working environment or am I misunderstanding that?
2: What would it look like? yeah absolutely so let me first just talk about the physical space itself so traditionally, an office space uh, dedicated the majority of the floor to individual work settings so uh, a desk, um, a library table, someplace where somebody is intending to do heads-down individual work, now, what we know is that work can now be done from anywhere. We've known this for a while, but this, this moment in time has really shined a light on this, right? It's, it's really exposed uh, that condition. And so, as we move forward... And, and this is all kind of following the same kind of trends that we were seeing before. More teamwork, more collaboration, more focus on the group productivity as opposed to just the individual. And we follow that logic into this new environment where we know individual heads down work, focus work, likely can be done someplace else outside of the office. We still need to care for it in the office, but on way less in terms of magnitude. So you'll see a flip. In terms of the amount of floor space that is dedicated to individual work towards collaborative work, and so that collaborative work, it can be formal, it can be informal and it can it, it, it should care for all of those types of interactions that are really, really necessary for organizations. I mean I, I was just reading your book and you you point to some research um, in there from from Sandy Pentland and Ben Waver... Yeah about the connection between social and casual interaction among coworkers and productivity. And so you'll see these environments focused on that as the center design point, as opposed to the individual worker and what they'll do. The second part of your question was around accessing meeting spaces on a more dynamic basis. And, And we've already seen customers coming to us, asking us, how can I access your workplace product? I have 100 people. But I know on any given day, only 40 people will be there. How can you sell us space that can be consumed at that rate? And so we're in the process of kind of repositioning our product to meet that hybrid need. And then on top of that, they say, I really value bringing my people into the office or into an environment regularly, whether that's quarterly or monthly, into a space for a highly experiential moment to bring everybody together to have those interactions, to bring the remote teams in and have this. We're also leveraging our meetings product to help meet that demand as well and packaging it all up into one hybrid workday experience that will allow companies to consume that experience as they need it without building it themselves. So it's a much more flexible basis. Your question around, whether an office will be more occupied on a Tuesday versus a Friday, the answer to that is absolutely. Uh, I think it will take some time for the dynamic consumption of space to get to that level where organizations will be able to consume it on a day-to-day basis, while also maintaining the regularity of what work really is. And you know the environment that will allow a team to feel connected and engaged Is a fixed environment. And I think the trade-off of less space for more people, understanding that a Monday it's going to be a little bit less utilized versus a Tuesday is a decision that managers will probably say, I'm I'm okay with that because I know that I already have the right amount of space to match the population and how we serve it.
1: It's so fascinating, isn't it? Because these wonderful office spaces, if these spaces are smaller, then what will happen to our city centers. Do do you believe that city centers will be smaller or how will we reconfigure
2: some of this unneeded space? It's an interesting point. And uh, I, I think what's interesting about it is that these elegant class A office buildings were reserved for a certain kind of class of business as well. And now if you're breaking, you're unbundling that address and making it more accessible to more companies with flexible office space, flexible meeting space, you're going to see a much larger population of people accessing it overall. So it won't always be the same people, but certainly there will be more people coming in. So my hope is that It'll create more of a diversity around these assets, and and allow more people to access something that potentially was unreachable before. It's it's hard to say, and I, I don't have a whole lot of predictions for city centers since I'm I'm mostly focused on the interiors of these spaces. But really, the the, the, seat, the thesis of co working or flexible office was around the shared economy making addresses accessible to companies that otherwise might not have been able to access that address through a long-term 10-year lease. They can consume it on a much shorter basis, two to three-year term, and still have that address with the credibility and the image that it commands. And so I, I have hope there that there there will be more of that for these, these larger class A type offices.
1: So it's almost like business districts will become democratized. That, you know, Mm-hmm. Don't feel choked out because you're a startup or you're, you, you might otherwise have felt like you, you needed to gravitate there, but more you feel like this is the place where business communication goes on and you can step right into it. So it's, it's almost like if big companies need less space, then that vacates a space for other companies to, to step into. That's right. I mean, it's yeah. going to be intriguing, right? I mean, it must be an exciting time for you. You guys are regarded as the pioneers. So so tell me, you're coming to London in 2021. So what's the plan?
2: So we're opening at 22 Bishop's Gate um, at the end of next year, which is a brand new building um, right in the city of London. We have both workplace and meetings product in that location. and And we feel really confident that, uh, coming into um, coming into this market at that time is is a is a great step for us. Um, we we see the the co-working flexible office market being a bit more mature in London, with a higher number of businesses that are that even prior to COVID had already started consuming on a flexible basis. And we're coming in at the premium end of that market. We have a, um, an elevated commons type experience with uh, table side service and additional membership perks that come along with that. And we are kind of, as I mentioned before, repositioning our workplace product to be much more dynamic in its consumption and access to our meetings product on the way that a workplace buyer will want to access it, but not sacrificing the hospitality and the high touch experience that convene is known for
1: Fascinating. So people who, who sign up for Convene, they get the benefit of co-working, but also that you can access these big event spaces. You can switch them on a different floor. How, do, how does it work? What's the difference of Convene?
2: That's right. So we, we've come up with um, a few ways to talk about this. And, um, you know, one, one way that I really like is that you can, through Convene, you can access a space for your team for 30 desks, also a meeting room for 300 people and then layer on our virtual meetings product to access 3,000 people. And so you can see that you can scale through our platform in both physical and digital means to create different types of experiences depending on on what you want to achieve.
1: Well, this seems incredibly timely. For the moment that every organization is going through, that every organization is working out what – 2021 2022 looks like in their demands this feels to such a large extent like it answers that question um how have you found it in the cities you've already been live in?
2: well it, at this moment in time um d- demand for physical space is, is really really low and so uh what we're planning for and, and, and engaging in conversations on now is is really on 21 and and beyond and so, the conversations that we're having first companies are most interested in how do I maintain my experience uh, at this moment in time? Second, how do I return to work safely? when do I do that? How do I do it? It's very complicated and you have to have um, you know sanitation practices in place and potentially team cohorts and management of the access of, of the space and so that that's a complicated experience and and then what does that office look like? And how do we consume space differently? We, we have heard so many more organizations who we either have an existing relationship with or who are net new potential customers to us, really challenging the purpose of place and looking at flexible office as an alternative to traditional leasing. Um, you know, Part of it might just be that uh, they don't want to make a long-term decision in a time of great uncertainty. And then what I what we believe though is that there has been a fundamental acceleration of the acceptance of consuming space on a more flexible term, and so that's those are the conversations that we're having. Demand is starting to pick up, the, the leads are and opportunities are increasing in our existing markets, um, and we see uh, we see that really converting somewhere towards the end of Q two Q three um, as the vaccine begins to roll out and and people feel more comfortable about coming back into the office.
1: Well, Nick, I mean, I'm so grateful for you talking to us because I think these are the themes and these, the issues that anyone who has worked in an office is trying to understand what the future of the office looks like. Everyone's wrestling with what does this look like? And if you're going to make any final predictions, um, is there anything in in addition that you'd ask us to maybe a uh, sort of caution we know or something you'd ask us to look out for?
2: The conversational pendulum has swung to the extremes at this moment in time there's debate now about one hundred percent remote versus one hundred percent back in the office, and companies are making decisions on that right now it's a lot of noise, and be cautious about speaking in absolutisms and think about. How people actually work, how we've all were all already moved in a certain direction, and make new decisions about how space will be an important lever for you as an organization to, to move forward and, and create something new. Really challenge the status quo, but understand that we're still humans who are uh, dynamic and kind of messy and, and understand that that experience um, is best consumed in space.
0: and Airbnb, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb slash host.
1: So that was Nick Livingney. He was from Convene, giving a, a for me a really interesting take of where they're going. They're, like they're, like I say, they're coming to the UK. I think there's going to be a lot of other competitors in this sector trying to offer really sort of flexible space and i know we work have the the opportunity to to add and uh, subtract these things so it's intriguing i think where we are right now flexibility and not being tied down to uh, different commitments is probably the order of the day for most firms so it's just for me it's really intriguing to try and second guess what will happen here and how people will try and make the best of this i think it's intriguing because as we do think about the challenges of what's to come, we forget that we've had a really unusual perspective of remote working. So anyone who's done video calls previously, maybe maybe you're not a complete novice to video calls, but you'll have known that there was a fundamental characteristic of, of video calls. I used to work at an organization where we we video dialed in our Manchester office and What you found was that the Manchester office really were just this sort of face on a screen or two or three faces on a screen at the end of the room. They didn't feel like they were part of the discussion. You know, when they tried to say something, they felt like the the people in the room continued side discussions. And there's a lesson in that because what we know is that while video calls on their own have... I think we've come to understand them. We've come to to maybe get the best of them, the sense of candor that sometimes they achieve or allowing quiet voices to have a a contribution. So there's actually been a, a really nice harmony, an unexpected harmony to how video calls work. But hybrid calls are something very different, aren't they? That feeling where you might have half the people in the room and half the people on video. And back to that thing that I said, that working in the office can't be a status symbol. I think a lot of us are going to find that our work is really sort of exhibiting something close to that, if we're not careful, that, you know, maybe you've got the management team in the room and then everyone else dialing in. And over time, people might think, you know, I want to be in the room with the the management team. I'm going to go into the office on Mondays. And very quickly, you'll get this sort of differentiation when it comes to promotions, when it comes to pay reviews. Those toxic, unjustified beliefs that, ah, that person just wants it a bit more, that person is just a bit hungrier, will be conducted because someone was in the room and someone had chit-chat by the coffee machine afterwards. What the overall lesson for me is of all of this year and what's to come this year is that the best companies are going to be the ones who are the most intentional. Let's try and get ahead of this. Let's try and design our culture. Let's try and think about what are the behaviours, the actions, the, um, the the elements of our culture that we want to defend. What are the things that we consider to be non-negotiable norms? What do we reward here and what gets punished here? And I think, you know, they're the big decisions that any organisation, the big questions that any organisation has to answer. Really appreciated the discussion with Nick Lavigny there. I think, you know, giving us an insight of how people in the sector are looking at these things. Fascinating stuff. Like I say, on the newsletter this week, I'll be looking at some of the things that firms are doing. And during the the course of the next few episodes, I'm going to be trying to find people who can help us answer the question of how we build some of these things. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I've been Bruce Daisley. See you next time.
0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. UnitedHealthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out UnitedHealthcare insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.